This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and in a minute, we'll be checking in with John Carlson of 2% Realty. You know him as Johnny Smartpoint, johnnysmartpoint.com. That's coming up. But first, some of the consumer news headlines from the past week. It was a great news week for the travel industry in Canada with a number of regulations being loosened when it comes to travel. The big one, of course, was the announcement Thursday morning that Canada is dropping the requirement that we have to get a COVID-19 test to come back across the border and get back into Canada, even if you were just in the States to buy some cheap gas. The testing requirement will end as of April 1st for those who have received a full course of an approved COVID vaccine, doesn't include boosters, unvaccinated and partially vaccinated travelers will still be bound by existing testing requirements. And though some are wondering why they're waiting until the 1st of April instead of just changing the rules right away, the travel industry is still celebrating and anticipating some big, big increases in business. Walt Judas of this, uh, is the CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. He says the new changes at least provide some certainty. He also points out that before the pandemic in 2019, BC's tourism industry brought in $23.3 billion in revenue, and that figure dropped to $7 billion in 2020. That's about a third of the year before. Netflix is testing some new features for its streaming service, including one that will allow accounts to be shared outside of members' households at an extra cost. And yes, it will mean new cost, new fees, but not in Canada just yet. They're testing the features in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru, which will allow members on its standard and premium plans to add up to two people to an account. The extra costs to add another person works out to roughly two to three bucks U.S. Netflix offers three tiers of pricing here in Canada, ranging from $9.99 per month for the basic package to $20.99 a month for its premium service. Customers here in Canada, where we already saw our prices rise earlier this year, can currently watch shows and movies on additional devices at the same time as well as access higher-definition streams through both standard and premium tiers. Netflix currently allows people who live together to share their account. However, the plans have created some confusion about when and how accounts can be shared. And not surprisingly, a lot of people share their accounts with other people, which technically is against their terms of service. That is the list of rules that you have to check off but you never read. <laughs> At least I don't. Uh, so uh, the costs of Netflix have been rising due to all the new original content that they've been creating. And an uncle and nephew from Chilliwack are looking to buy themselves each a new set of wheels. Uh, that's after the two shared a winning Lotto 649 ticket worth $8 bucks. John Bonner and his nephew Travis Bonner matched all six winning numbers with a quick pick ticket. John says his nephew talked him into splitting the tickets that they would buy every week. He says he was just sitting down to breakfast when he decided to check his ticket. John says he was having his morning coffee when he checked the numbers. The numbers matched, and he said, quote, well, I got all sick. 
Then he read the winning ticket was sold in Chilliwack. And he said that's when he realized that it was real. Uh, He says he and his nephew weren't the only lucky ones in the family that night. After he realized they'd won that morning, John's brother called him up and he said, hey, I won $11,000 at the casino last night. (laughs) John said when his brother told him that, he said, "Uh, I think I can do you one better. So congratulations. Uh, This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, we're going to talk real estate with John Carlson of 2% Realty. JohnnySmartPoint.com is the website. That's when Vancouver Consumer continues on CKNW right after this. And it is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong, and it's time to talk about the thing that everybody loves to talk about when you go to parties. Uh, I mean... Ultimately, the conversation always goes to real estate. And when you talk real estate, you want to talk to someone who who knows real estate. They've been in the business for years and years and years. Uh, he has sold uh, over a thousand properties. Um, and uh, he, he's just the guy you want to talk to. John Carlson from 2% Realty. You know him as johnnysmartpoint.com. And John is with us now. Hi, how are you? Hey, Martin, I'm doing great. And as always, it's good to be with you today. Yeah. So it's kind of a, and it's an interesting weekend. It's the first weekend of spring. Spring is officially tomorrow. And uh, I guess that's kind of a big time for for people uh, who are thinking about real estate, both buying and selling. Uh, I guess spring is just traditionally a busy time for real estate. Spring markets, yeah, you know, not that we've necessarily been in, um, you know, regular markets these last few years. We've seen some some pretty excited times, but typically and traditionally, the spring market is the market where things come to life. You know, the flowers bloom, people, uh, you know, sweep off their driveways and get their houses cleaned up, and typically, it's when the listing inventory starts to hit uh, in in bigger numbers than it had. Uh, you know, say in October, November, December, those aren't the biggest listing months of the year, but generally March and April and May are really big listing months. So for this particular year, and the fact that we've just come through a market of record low inventory and record high demand, and as a result, record high pricing and and frenzy in the market, we're starting to see things change a little bit already. Um, You know, the weather's been pretty good and the listing inventory has picked up. So I really welcome this this spring market. I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for the real estate market. It's going to open things up a little bit in terms of uh, giving buyers more choice. And whenever buyers have you know more properties they can consider to write on, and they're not so um, you know funneled into just a few available listings, we generally see a market that starts to balance out a little bit better and becomes a little bit easier to operate in. And and that's what I'm seeing signs of right now. And I think that's going to continue. Yeah, and it's interesting. I should point out, uh, John, that uh, John Carlson, who I'm talking to now, Johnny Smartpoint, johnnysmartpoint.com is the website. Uh, you do work all around the lower mainland. You are just not in one specific community. Uh, you've got listings currently uh, in Maple Ridge. You've also got one uh, a house you've been uh, working with on Quebec Street in Vancouver. So you've seen, uh, you, you, you see the totality of this market of the lower mainland. And, and what are you seeing? Um, I mean, I, I got a chance to see a house uh, that you were selling on Quebec Street, which is very close to where I live. Um, are, you, are you seeing firsthand uh, kind of a sea change 
in the real estate market in the lower mainland? Well, I'm seeing signs of of the market balancing, as I mentioned. Um, you know, let's talk about the house on Quebec Street. By the way, this one is uh, basically sold. Uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when I was on the program. And we looked at offers this past Monday. And we currently have an offer that is accepted. It's unconditional with the deposit other than it is still subject to the seller receiving grant of probate. It's an estate sale. So I can't get into pricing or too many details on it because it's still uh, waiting uh, probate to be granted. But if you want to use that as an indication, uh, as an indicator, what's going on in the market, we've got a listing there that was a fantastic neighborhood, uh, as you know, a great mm -hmm. lot and a house that was probably a teardown or, uh, you know, a, a very, very significant renovation right down to the studs. So we're looking at a certain type of, of buyer in a certain segment of the market that's been that's been pretty active and, and these type of properties are in demand. And just thinking off the top of my head, um, you know, I had a back in probably the heat 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 of the market you know around christmas time or before i had a, a tear down a similar type tear down that we had 35 offers on um i had one also in the fall that was in you know point gray similar pricing and i think we had 15 or something offers when it came to this particular one we had a very good result by the way but we didn't have that huge number of offers we you know i i think that there's a trend that um, buyers will you know, do what they have to do to get the properties they need to get. But when they start to sense that, you know, hey, wait a minute, it seems like the frenzy is not quite as high anymore. Uh, maybe I don't have to get as crazy. Maybe I can be a little more patient. Um, so we did get, you know, a good number of offers, a multiple offer situation. And we did get a result that, you know, exceeds significantly the list price. And that was our goal. So it's a good news story in the end. But, um, you know, the days I think of having a listing and pretty much being able to guarantee 10 or 15 offers coming in within minutes, so to speak. Um, you don't always see that anymore. Um, still, certainly still possible. And some segments are um, still benefiting from, you know, supply and demand ratios that favor sellers incredibly. But a lot of the market, I think, is uh, including the banks. If you look at banks, they're starting to prepare for a flatter market. So, um, you know, to use this one house as an example, uh, the result is fantastic. There are still buyers out there paying record prices for homes, but it just feels like the overall, uh, you know, atmosphere out there in the market is that if you're a seller, you want to make sure you price, you know, properly and have a strategy that that, that, that still applies, you know, to the market. And, uh, you know, if I want to get into a little more detail there, I would, I would just give you an example. Sometimes now when I'm doing evaluations, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be working with a family out in North Delta on a, on a family home. And just this week doing evaluations there, uh, looking at houses that are a million, five, six, seven, eight type range. I noticed that whereas a few months ago, you'd have a listing and then seven days later, you'd have a sale and you find out the sale price. And that was pretty much, uh, you know, a multiple offer way over list. Well, today, if you look in that same segment, in that same market, you might see homes that have been on the market two or three weeks. Uh, there were a few homes that had originally set an offer date for a, you know, a, a date that's already passed, but that offer date came and went without a firm sale. And, and sometimes, you know, in my experience, that's been because a seller has priced really, really low because that's been a good strategy, expecting a huge lift in the market that a, that a, crazy number of offers is going to bump it up to a number where their expectation level is quite high, but they find out that, Hey, maybe the pressure isn't quite there in the market. Maybe, you know, Hey, we didn't quite get the offer we were expecting. We listed it 
1.3, we were expecting 1.7, but we didn't get it. So that very same listing, a week or 10 days later, you see it's still in the market, but instead of listed at 1.3, it's now listed at 1.65 or something because the strategy changes. Now, these people are setting the bar high enough so buyers know what to expect. And, um, and it's just a little bit of a different situation. Other times, I'm seeing listings where you know, similar homes in a neighborhood, I'm just picking out of thin air, but they might have sold for 1.5 million, 1.55, 1.75. So the next seller now is saying, well, I'm going to try for 1.6. But they're finding out that, you know, some of the formula, if you will, that went into those uh, offers that went into the neighbor's house a month or two ago, a lot of that formula has changed. And you, you might not be able to expect 10 or 15 offers on, on your property. So the market is always adjusting. It's always evolving. Uh, there's always, uh, you know, a market to be read, if you will, and understanding that market that you're operating in, knowing what your competition is, knowing what buyers are doing in that segment right now, as of today, that's the kind of information you really want to uh, come up with a good strategy to sell because it's not quite the same as it was two months ago. Mm -hmm. And that's why you need a, a professional who, who kind of knows the ins and outs and has, has seen all the different kinds of markets. And we're talking to John Carlson. Uh, Johnny Smart Point is uh, the name he goes by. JohnnySmartPoint.com is the website. You can also phone John at 604-612-0080. He, he loves the phone. He's a realtor. Realtors live on the phone. 612-0080. And you can also send him an email, john at johnnysmartpoint.com. And John, we're talking about um, the different kinds of eras that we've been through and you've seen them all, you know, the slow markets and the fast markets. And I guess it's one of those things where we all get used to uh, the way things are like interest rates being historically low. We're all kind of used to them. And we're, we're, we sort of start to feel like, oh, these are going to be, are going to be around forever. And it's sort I guess it's the same with the time a, a piece of property has to remain on the market. And I mean, things go so fast nowadays, but, um, what is a typical, like what used to be the typical period of time it would take to sell a piece of property compared to now? Well, you know, good question. And I want to be careful not to give uh, listeners the impression that this market is sagging or anything. You know, all I'm yeah. saying is that, you know, the fizz is sort of off of, uh, you know, that the, the extreme high end frenzy seems to be abating. Uh, but it's still a great seller's market. But if, if we were to go back to, say, slower markets uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd list a home and hopefully you'd get an offer within 30 days. And, you know, you'd, sometimes it would take longer. And then as the market started heated up, we found a situation where, you know, at, at the peak of things this past year, you put a sign on the yard and you've got people lining up in your driveway with, you know, envelopes of money. You know, I'm joking, of course, but ready to just wanting to complete on any property they can. Uh, and so, in you know, recent times we've seen people say to me, hey, John, how long is the sale date? And I said, well, you're the seller. You set the offer date. You decide, you know, my theory is you give give the market long enough to become aware of the listing, to investigate it, to see it, do whatever due diligence they want to do and be ready to write an offer. And usually that's a period of about seven to 10 days. But as I said, there are listings out there now that you take a look in there in like maybe two weeks and they're still available. Why? Well, because uh, the offer time they set came and went and they didn't get the result they expected. So you know, one way that, you know, I, I don't know if you mind me using a bit of an analogy here, but uh, I tend to be a bit of a visual thinker. Mm -hmm. And uh, and here's an analogy. If I have a, do I have a minute, by the way? Yeah, you got three minutes. 
Okay, I'll be I'll be quick here, but here's something that readers might want to think about, and this is just from my own my own little way of thinking. But when I was uh, young in high school, I used to play a lot of sports, so I'd lay on my bed and maybe throw a tennis ball up in the air and see how high I could, how close I could get it to the ceiling without touching, and you know, little <laughs> stuff like that. The teenagers, I used boys to do that, that, you know, I used yeah, to do that. crazy stuff. But I also had a ping pong ball, and I'd lay on my back and I'd you know put the ball to my lips, and I would blow as hard as I could. And try to direct the ball up as high as I could and see how long it would stay in. And I, I know that's pretty boring and maybe people with teenage boys can can have a laugh about that. But that's what I used to do. And and it, it it's there's a there's an analogy there in the real estate market because that ping pong ball didn't just go up on its own. It had to be forced with pressure. And and prices in the real estate business, in real estate industry, they don't just go up because, you know, somebody's looking to buy a house and they read the paper and the paper says, oh, prices are up. Oh, I'm going to offer more. It doesn't really work like that. On, on a day-to-day basis, it's it's buyers writing offers and, oh, wait, I lost out on that offer. I didn't get it. Next time, I'm going to have to try a little bit harder. Oh, I bought a townhouse or my neighbor townhouse sold. And, oh, and now I'm selling and now I'm getting even more. And so people start to realize the market's going up and the the pressure, if you will, is not the breath but if you have low interest rates that's like giving you lots of fuel or big lungs and then if you restrict the supply of listings down to a very narrow little passageway that you're blowing that air through that's like you know that's what's creating this pressure and pushing it up but as soon as that pressure starts to diminish maybe interest rates go up and the volume of air is not quite there maybe the listing inventory starts to widen out and buyers have more choice so they're not funneled through such a narrow passage in terms of trying to be successful in buying a property well, what happens is that that ping pong ball starts to drop a little bit. There's no longer the pressure they're holding it. And and it, it's not instantaneous. It's a process day by day where buyers start to realize that, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't have to, uh, you know, throw $200,000 over the list price or maybe I can, you know, and, and buyers start to take their time a little bit more. So all I'm suggesting is in this market, it's spring, as we've discussed, uh, listings are starting to bloom. There's interest rate hikes on the horizon. And the overall feel in the market is that, okay, hey, it's still a competitive market. If I want to buy, I better be serious. But maybe I don't have to compete against 10 or 15 other people, maybe two or three. So I'm not seeing statistically sale prices drop necessarily, but the market's got a little bit more of a flat curve now than it did. Great advice from John Carlson, johnnysmartpoint.com. And when we come back on Vancouver Consumer, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this market. Maybe the fizz coming off it. It's still a strong market, but the fact that the fizz is coming off might actually be a good thing for everybody, both sellers and buyers. And we'll have more of that when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and this is indeed Vancouver Consumer. As we talk real estate with John Carlson, johnnysmartpoint.com is the website 604-612-0080 the number 612-0080 and an easy email to remember john at johnnysmartpoint.com and uh, it's the weekend of spring tomorrow officially the first day of spring and uh, we're talking about the market i mean obviously uh in our conversations john over the past couple of years uh through covid the market has been just you know unprecedented just crazy demand uh record setting prices and uh as we were discussing you you mentioned that the fizz might actually be starting to subside and you wanted to make sure that people know that um it's still a very strong 
seller's market, but uh, it's not as crazy as it has been. But but that could be a good thing. Um, obviously, for buyers, it might mean slightly lower prices. But but even for sellers, this is a good thing for the market to kind of kind of get back to to earth a little bit. Would you say that's true? I think it is true um, to some degree, to a great degree. Uh, the real estate market in Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, Lower Mainland, has become a victim of its own success, if you will. Um, there, I've talked to so many people over the last 12, 18 months who have said a variation of this. Hey, John, you know, we're, we're really thinking of selling and uh, we got a place here and we know we can sell it. Boy, it's a good spot and we shouldn't have any problem selling it. But you know what? We just don't want to enter this market as buyers. So we're going to wait. Maybe when the market calms down a bit because we don't want to sell our house and then be in this panic situation where, you know, or we don't want to buy first and then have to sell. So it's a high pressure market has some people sitting on the sidelines because, hey, and I don't blame people for not having wanted to be a buyer in the market in these last six months or so. But when things start to relax a little bit, a lot of those people will now, presumably, say, take a second look at the market and say, hey, you know what, I, I feel I feel comfortable because, you know, hey, we need to upsize. We've had two more kids and we, we're going from our condo to our townhouse or we're, we're downsizing or we're retiring. All those life uh, situations that dictate, you know, why and when people might want to move, make a move in real estate, they're still there. And so now I'm seeing, a, this is my interpretation, that um, as the spring market hits and there's a little bit more listings and as maybe sales uh, in terms of buyers coming to buy properties gets a little bit more relaxed, I think that's going to be a good thing overall because a lot of the people sitting on the sidelines who didn't want to get stuck in the market logjam are now this spring, in my opinion, a lot of them, going to be coming into the market, which helps the inventory that much more and just kind of greases the wheels, if you will, because we've been kind of kind of seized up with a high demand, low inventory market. And now that things are relaxing a bit, I think that's going to give a lot of people the confidence to say, OK, hey, you know what? I feel comfortable. We won't be homeless. We can go back to a market that's a little bit more traditional where we can actually, you know, sit down and make a rational choice about, hey, here's how we're going to sell and here's where we're going to move and we're going to do it all within 90 days. These things are going to get a lot more easy, uh, a lot easier to do um, as this market carries on. And, and like I said, we're already seeing those sorts of signs in the market. So, yes, I would agree. It's probably a good thing for everyone. So so good news for people on the sidelines who are who, like you say, maybe they want to downsize size, maybe they want to upsize. Um, but it might be a good time, uh, you know, to go to johnnysmartpoint.com is the website. You can see, uh, see what's happening and, and, uh, find out about John, John Carlson. Um, would you say that maybe, you know, this might be a bit of a sweet spot for some people it might be just in the, the nice range between a seller's market, a good time to sell your property, but also a good time to, you know, to maybe buy one as well. You know, I think so. You know, at the risk of sounding like a salesman, and that's that's one rap that salespeople sometimes get, that it's always yeah. a good time to sell or always a good time. And, you know, when I meet people, I give them my opinions and sometimes, you know, waiting might be better and I let them decide that. But yeah, I think that it, it might be a good time. I think a couple of weeks ago when I was on the program, I referred to the coming market as perhaps going, uh, going to be a Goldilocks type market where maybe not too hot, not too cold. And, um, and that's, that's the thing I see coming. And and not to switch gears too much, but I know that the uh, the governments, federal and provincial, are looking at measures to kind of uh, bring the market under control. And those things may be suggested in the spring uh, meeting of the legislature. And there may be things coming. 
but in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I'm already seeing some changes happen. And some of the listeners out there, they might not really know what I'm talking about, or they might wonder because uh, statistics, and if you listen to the news, you generally hear last month's statistics, and you start to hear trends after they, you know, after they happen. So generally speaking, when a market slows down or speeds up, I kind of know it about a month or more before, you know, maybe the press starts putting it out there in the local news programs and things. So Again, what I'm seeing on the ground is a good market, you know, but if you want to go back to the absolute craziness that we've had, that I think is is finally going to just kind of dissolve a little bit and we're just going to be back to a strong seller's market. So great, great news, I think, for everybody. Yeah. And it, it shows that you, you really need someone with some real insight into the world of, uh, of real estate when you, when you go to sell a property. And, uh, cause I, I guess, uh, one of those things is I, I think about you as you're a listener, whenever we hear from your customers and people you've helped, uh, sell their homes, the one thing they always say is that you listen to them and you don't rush them in. And you mentioned, you don't want to sound like a salesman because, uh, I mean, if, if it, if, if it's not right, right now for somebody to sell, you won't get them to sell, but you'll, you'll help them be ready when the time comes. Yes, that definitely is my goal. And, and that's always been the way I've worked, but I, I think that that's one of the biggest advantages that comes with being an established agent who, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always busy. It's not like I'm, I'm twiddling my thumbs wondering, you know, where my next client might be coming from. I've been doing this now. This is my 26th year and I've got a lot of past clients who refer me business and new people call me all the time. And it's just nice to be in a situation. It keeps my life so easy. It keeps, you know, my headspace nice and clean and easy. All I do is when I meet people, I tell them, you know, my job is to tell you the truth as I understand it. I, I'm not the market. I don't make any decisions about, you know, where sale prices are or this and that. But because I do this every day and have been doing it a long time, I have a fair bit of experience that I can bring and I can explain it to you and tell you how I see things at all time. And when you have an agency relationship with a client, uh, you know, there's the, the duty of confidentiality and there's the, the duty of loyalty to work for them. But the, the duty of, of disclosure is there. I'm an open book and I'm there to try to give my experience to people and, and let them know, you know, what I think. And I don't, you know, have to, I don't, I don't feel I need to or even want to uh, try to convince anyone to sell their house, you know, like people hate that. Hey, you want to sell? Do you want to sell? I called you last week, but it's a new week. Do you want to sell this week? That's not what I do. But I find that if you meet people and you give them good advice and you're just honest with them and open and, and you know, bring some bring evidence for them, let them see it for themselves, you know, they and, and let them make their, their, their right choices. Don't pressure people because then when they're ready, they tend to call you and and, and that's, I think, one of the things that I've done right in my business is, is just treated people with respect and given them good advice. And sometimes I get calls two or three years down the road. Hey, do you remember when you met with me three years ago? Well, we want to sell now and, and you're our guy. So that's the approach that I try to bring to everybody that I meet. And I listen to them. And oftentimes I'll hear things and, you know, and I learn things from them as well. So it's a two-way street. And uh, if listeners out there are thinking of selling and want to call me and consult with me, that's what I do. We make appointment. I meet with them uh, that you can show me your house and I'll give you an idea what's going on in your market. What's the lay of the land right now? And what would your options likely be? And what would a sale look like today? And sometimes we meet and I say, well, hey, why don't we update this evaluation in another two or three months? And if it looks good, then, then hey, then we can go forward then. But you're right. Listening to the client is is really the foundation of everything I just talked about. 
And if you want to find out everything there is to know about John Carlson, just go to his website, johnnysmartpoint.com. And, uh, you will see, uh, you know, what's going on with him, what he's done in the past and what's going on now. And, and I'm looking at, uh, one of the listings on your website that you have currently, and it just goes to show how different every property is. This one is on Dudney trunk road in Maple Ridge. And this one is all about land and location. It says here, and that's interesting to me. Yeah. And, you know, I like to talk about some listings that I've got that are coming up. This one, I'll be looking at offers on Tuesday, the 22nd of March. So if if anyone's interested, you know, check out my website or call me or have your agent call me because this is, uh, as you mentioned, Maple Ridge. It's it's West Maple Ridge, not the old Dudney Trunk Road in the farmland, but Dudney Trunk, kind of one of the main drags in town. And this is a 16,000 square foot lot. It's It's a big lot. And it is in an area that uh, the city of Maple Ridge is promoting as their higher density corridor. They would like to see multifamily there. Uh, there's all kinds of future development. Right now it's listed R- as zoned as RS1, but this is a 1910, I think, 1920 built older style house, very livable. It's currently tenanted and uh, it's the kind of property that you could buy and carry it. And at some point in time, the two properties to the east would form a nice uh, you know, like this, this property is, like I said, 16,000 square feet. You could do part of a land assembly um, with this. So it's a great holding property for an investor. Uh, the city supports development. A huge lot right now. You could maybe do a duplex or a big house if you wanted to, or you could just keep the house the way it is and, um, you know, potentially uh, take part in a, in a, in a profitable venture with your neighbors down the road. So the address is 20903 Dudney Trunk Road gigantic 16,000 square foot lot. It's a three bedroom home, old timer, still in good shape. Uh, and it's listed at 1299000 which is not much uh, higher than the average uh, house price uh, in Maple Ridge, but yet you've got the development potential in the big lot. So this one will probably be popular on Tuesday. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Go to johnnysmartpoint.com, the website, and you can see all the pictures and everything. And that, that just uh, proves my point that you need someone who understands uh, how these things work, because uh, there's so many possibilities for this property. You could just have a house on a huge, big plot of land, or you could have an eye to the future of of where that uh, the property might go, what it'll look like, and uh, it might be a, a great place to to get in on now. And uh, like I say, go to johnnysmartpoint.com, the website. And when you go to Johnny Smartpoint, really quickly, let's just quickly talk about your commission structure. You're a 2% realtor. And the reason why you call yourself Johnny Smartpoint, because you're the right at the smart point between, a, you know, a good, fair price for commission, 2%, but also someone who's been in the business for 26 years and really knows what's going on. And uh, you will save people money uh, on commission. Yeah. Compared to the majority of my competition, I mean, there's no set rate, so I have to be careful. I don't say I definitely will, but yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the most common uh, commission rates out there, I represent a savings and, and the, you know, the smart point uh, thing really is, is kind of a recognition that, that, um, the public, um, that consumers have options. They have choices. I mean, you can put a sign in your own yard and sell a property yourself and power to you if that's what you want to do. You can hire companies that throw you on MLS with no representation and say, hey, I'll charge you for your sign and access to the thing, but I'm not your agent and go ahead and have at it. And that's great. Or, I mean, I've seen 
listings that are 7% plus 3 or 4% of the balance, and you can spend a fair chunk of money on commission and, and hire an agent. Uh, and all of the, you know, there's, there's a wide range of options. And kind of where I fit in there is, you know, commission's important, but the first thing you need is an agent that, that is trustworthy, has a good track record and can do a good job. So you want the quality is always more important, I think, than price when it comes to choosing a real estate agent. But if you can get a, an agent with a good track record and uh, who, who is a top performer, but yet save maybe 30 or 40 percent commission compared to the majority of the other agents, I think that's a pretty smart move. Most people don't want to represent themselves in a sale and uh, a good agent, in my opinion, here's a pitch for, for for realtors, I guess, a good agent can definitely produce, uh, in my opinion, a better result than a homeowner can, in, you know, 99 times out of 100. And even, even after the commission is considered, probably, you know, produce a better result. So a good agent can make you money, uh, especially in these days of multiple offer situations, knowing how to handle them and knowing how to stick handle, you know, if an offer comes in it, you know. 2 million and you work it up to 2.4 million. Well, you know, that's probably a job well done that uh, a professional can do better than most. So the smart point is quality and an attractive price. And you put those two together and generally that's what keeps me going. JohnnySmartPoint.com is the website. Uh, John Carlson has been our guest. Thank you so much, John. Have a great opening to spring weekend. Yeah. Happy spring, everybody. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. All right, John Carlson, coming up next, it's This Weekend in Vancouver History and a dark story about the Ku Klux Klan and one of the city's most notorious murder cases. That's next. Welcome back. This is Martin Strong, and I've got some Vancouver history that happened this weekend in 1925, March 20th, 1925. A bunch of guys, all dressed up in Ku Klux Klan regalia, showed up at a Point Grey home owned by a, na a man named R.P. Baker. But these Klan guys weren't interested in him. They kidnapped his 25-year-old houseboy, a Chinese immigrant named Wong Foon Singh. They blindfolded him and tied him up, forced him to lie down in the backseat of their car. They went on a long car ride with someone's foot pressing down on Singh's back the whole time. He was finally taken to a home, led up some stairs, still blindfolded him. Uh, they untied him. And when he realized he was alone, he took off the blindfold. Singh found himself in a dark room with his legs shackled to bolts on the floor. He was kept in that attic. It was a house in Shaughnessy for the next six weeks, beaten and threatened with death the entire time. So why did these Klansmen do it? Well, it was because Wong Foon Singh was a prime suspect in their minds in the murder of Janet Smith, and they were trying to beat a confession out of him. The Janet Smith murder had been in all the Vancouver newspapers for the past year. She was a nursemaid, her body found at the bottom of the stairs, dead from a single gunshot to the head. And it was Wong Foon Singh who discovered the body. Even though there was no evidence that he was responsible, he was still arrested and charged, but eventually let go. And I guess the Klansmen didn't buy it. But the story gets more interesting. It would later be revealed that his kidnapping was actually organized and financed by the Point Grey Police Department and the mayor of Marpole in 1925, J.A. Payton. Presumably, they thought they could get him to confess. Several of the kidnappers ended up going to jail, 
but the mayor and every member of the Point Grey police would get a last-minute stay of prosecution from the deputy attorney general. Uh, Peyton would, in fact, go on to become a prominent MLA where he was an ardent supporter of Japanese internment during the Second World War. So what happened to poor old Wong Foon Singh? He, not surprisingly, surprisingly, had had enough of Vancouver. And within a year, he had traveled back home to China with the souvenir of permanent hearing damage as a result of all the beatings he took in that attic. Oh, and the Janet Smith murder was never solved. The Ku Klux Klan continued to operate as an organization in Vancouver throughout the 1920s, and their headquarters was a huge house known as the Glen Bray Mansion on Matthews Avenue in Vancouver. They moved out of there in 1929. Fun fact, you may have heard this one, that mansion where the Ku Klux Klan used to gather is now the site of Canucks Place Children's Hospice. And that's a little bit of Vancouver history from this weekend in 1925. I'm Martin Strong, and this is Vancouver Consumer. And coming up, do you share your Netflix account with other people? The TV streamer is getting a little concerned about that, and it could mean changes for us in the future. That's next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.